Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Star Talk All Stars, a very special edition of Star Talk All Stars. This is the dinosaur edition. My name is Dustin Groek. I'm a science communicator, museum consultant, and enormous dinosaur nerd. Um, but I'm not by myself today. I'm with my esteemed, beautiful, talented, hilarious, and not really versed in the world of dinosaurs co host, Meg Pearson. Meg, hi. Hi, Dustin. I'm delighted to be here. I am delighted to have you here. Meg, uh, quick question. Do you have a favorite dinosaur? I definitely do. I like Ankylosaurus. Oh, Ankylosaur, An Ankylosaurus. Depending on who you talk to, different pronunciation. Why do you like that heavily armored dino? Uh, because it represents how I feel when I walk the streets of New York. Fair, fair, very <laughs> fair. But Meg, I think we should probably have an actual dinosaur scientist with us seeing as how neither of us have the actual credentials. We have a real life paleontologist with us today, someone who's written for National Geographic, for Forbes, and in her own words, has scoured the globe looking for the dopest of fossils. I absolutely love that. Ooh. Shana Montanari, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, so happy to be here. I love talking dinos. Shana, what is your favorite dinosaur? And Ooh, is that like question. choosing a favorite child? <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. To t it's so hard for me to decide. Like, most of me always wants to say Velociraptor just because, you know, it was cool. It was, it was small. It was mighty, uh, much like myself. Uh, but I also really like oviraptorid dinosaurs, which, if people aren't familiar, are theropod dinosaurs. So, like, related to Velociraptor in a way, but they had no teeth and looked like sort of giant parrots. With, like, crazy big beaks. <laughs> yeah, crazy yeah. big beaks and, like, head crests and all these things. And they're I'm fond of them because I studied uh, their eggs. Oh, nice. When I was getting my PhD. Oh, yeah. There's a tremendous fossil with an overaptor egg. When I was asked to host Star Talk All Stars, this dinosaur edition, um, I was like, wait a minute. Why are they talking to dinosaur people and not to astrophysicists or astronomers? Because I was thinking a lot about like when you have a conversation with an astrophysicist or an astronomer, inevitably at some point, the two major questions get asked like, where are we? Where did this all start? Why is there something rather than nothing? And then ultimately, like, are aliens real? Like, do aliens exist out there? Have they visited this earth? And I'm here to tell you, Meg and Shana, that I actually think that question should be posed to paleontologists, not astronomers or astrophysicists. And here's why. People have been studying, like formally studying the heavens for only a couple thousand years, right? And humans, anatomically modern humans, have only been around 200,000 years or so. Dinosaurs, however, were around for about 180 million years. Right, So if aliens ever actually have visited this planet, it is much more likely they showed up during the time of the dinosaurs versus when any human was around. And aliens versus dinosaurs, like Spielberg, call me, that movie would be sick. Okay, so all of this is great, and I too would love to see that movie. That <laughs> sounds we great. All? Okay. If there can be like a, a giant shark involved as well. I was thinking lasers as well. Lasers sound okay. great. Okay. Uh, as long as Jeff Goldblum's in, I yeah. am there fair, for the fair. opening night. But Dustin and Shana, if we could just take a quick step back and start with the basics here. Yeah. What is a dinosaur? That's a good place to start. If we're going to talk about dinosaurs, we should be able to identify when we see one when we see one. And so dinosaurs, um, much like other groups of animals, we all categorize and classify them based on shared characteristics. So paleontologists and taxonomists, really, taxonomists are people that categorize and classify different groups of animals based on group uh, based on shared characteristics. Um, and originally it was mostly because of physical characteristics. Now we have much better genetic evidence. But when it comes to dinosaurs, there's a certain set of things that make a dinosaur a dinosaur. Certain holes in the skull, uh, vertebral morphology, specific features that we know when we see in an animal, it's a dinosaur. And there's a bunch of these. So to make it easier for you and all of our new dinosaur nerds at home, really, Meg, you only have to ask, only have to ask two questions. 
whenever you're looking at any animal to determine if said animal is in fact a dinosaur. So question one, Meg, does this animal have its legs directly under its body? So that's question one. Does this animal have its legs directly under its body, not kind of splayed out to the side like an alligator or crocodile? And question number two, does that animal have scales or feathers? And we'll get back to the scales or feathers in a minute. But I want to go back to the legs straight under the body because one of the reasons why I love dinosaurs is they were amazing in that they were the first major group of animals to abandon life in water. So no dinosaur ever lived in water. And so there are some other small groups, like shout out to the Pseudosuchians, but the dinosaurs, first major group to abandon life in water, live exclusively on land. If you live on land, it's much more efficient to have your legs come straight down from under you to be able to move more efficiently and faster versus if you think about an alligator or a crocodile, it's got its legs reptilian-like splayed out to the side, makes sense in water, but on land, it's not an efficient way to move around. Mm-hmm. So I always argued the legs coming straight down on their body is the thing that made them so successful for about 180 million years. So Meg, whenever you see an animal alive or dead, ask yourself those two questions. Does its legs come down straight under its body, much like us? And secondly, does it have scales or feathers? And we'll get back to that one in a little bit because I know we have some more questions. Yeah, absolutely. And frankly, that's a good way to kind of tell, uh, you know, like the Kardashians may have their legs splayed and kind of just mm-hmm. all out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, does do not have scales or feathers. No, they don't. So they do not. not. So not, not dinosaurs. Dinosaur. You guys, you heard it for here first. Kardashians, not dinosaurs. Thank you so much for, yeah. for letting me know. Okay. Uh, so we do have a couple questions, and I'm very excited about the answers to these. So uh, Haney uh, Lauren NP actually wrote in and wants to know, how large was the largest dinosaur ever found, and how did they get so big? The largest dinosaur ever found by far are sauropod dinosaurs. So they are the ones that you may know as Brontosaurus or Apatosaurus um, in your local natural history museum with the very long necks that ate a ton of plants. Um, the largest ones are probably the Dreadnoughtus and Patagotitan, which are both from South America. And they were actually found pretty recently, which is cool. And they were upwards of 60 or 70 tons. <laughs> so that seems huge. Um, and just for reference, the femur, the leg bone, the upper leg bone of Patagotitan is eight feet long. Just the, just the one femur. So, wait, so, so just it's, it's like got two, it's standing on two Shaquille O'Neal's, like it's femurs yeah. of two Shaquille O'Neal's. Okay. <laughs> oh, like even bigger than that. Actually, so slightly just, bigger. You're right. He's not yeah, eight and feet that's tall. T- right. And that's the top part, just the top part of the leg. So it was a really, truly, truly, truly large beast. But just as a, as an aside, all sauropods, like, were not super big. Um, that's not, you know, there were small ones, so it doesn't mean that they were all really big, but the largest dinosaurs that we have found, um, in the fossil record have been sauropods and they were probably, you know, 70 upwards of 70 tons over a hundred feet long. Uh, give a shout out to the American museum of natural history. Cause you can see a life-size replica of Patago Titan. And it's mm-hmm. so big that its head pokes out the doorway of the hall that it's in. Cause it's 122 feet long. Uh, but what is, you know, we always talk about how big dinosaurs were, but I always think it's wild to think, Oh, blue whales that are actually living now way about double yeah. that, <laughs> which, That's is crazy. Just, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, I think the question of how they got so big is uh, is kind of a mystery. We don't actually really know that for, for a fact. So we know some dinosaurs are very large. We know some are very small. But I guess right now I'm curious to know, like, of those really big dinosaurs, how did they get so big? I think we have a question along those lines even. Yeah. So 
Actually, uh, Will J, otherwise known as Will Nerd from Patreon, asked a question. Uh, is high atmospheric oxygen the only reason the dinosaurs got so darn big? And so if hugeness brings protection from predators, uh, uh, he said that he would expect more huge animals at this time, okay. in this day and age. There are really two questions there for you, Shana. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So a few things about this question. Number one. Uh, the atmospheric oxygen actually probably was not higher uh, when dinosaurs were flourishing during the Mesozoic. It, we kind of think that was probably similar to today. So that doesn't really explain why dinosaurs got larger because it, it, it wasn't the oxygen. Um, there's also been a ton of theories that are floated about why dinosaurs got so large. Another one that people like sometimes say is reduced gravity. <laughs> but there's no evidence that the, gra the gravitational... Uh, force on the earth has ever drastically changed. So none of these things are actually true. Um, you know, we're not actually really sure why and how some of these dinosaurs press the upper limits. Um, being large is actually not a great thing in a lot of senses. Uh, it might help protect from predators, but it comes with a lot of negatives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, for example, you need to reproduce if you're gigantic. And it's kind of hard to do because you spend a lot of time and energy um, especially if you're, you know, you're like us and you just date something. That's why humans are pregnant for nine months, which is a long time. Um, but elephants are pregnant for nearly two 22. years. And a lot of that has to do with how much metabolic energy they actually have to put into their offspring. Uh, so it's pretty expensive to get super large in addition to all the food that you need to eat. Dinosaurs lay e laid eggs. Uh, so that actually helps with the energy expenditure because you can like kind of lay in a lot of eggs and just walk away from it and they can grow in the eggs and not like in you. So that helps with your energy savings, but still need a ton of food, hundreds of pounds of food a day. So maybe it's harder to take you down like a predator. It's harder to take you down, but it's actually really um, expensive to live that way nutritionally too. So yeah, no good reason. I can't really give you a, uh, a hard and fast reason of why animals uh, got so big. Uh, some of these dinosaurs got so big. TBD. Yeah, it's one of the greatest reasons I love dinosaurs is so much. So, so many questions remain unanswered. They're like science's greatest enigma. Um, and they're equalizing in that way, right? You can be a paleontologist who studied these things for literally decades versus like an eight-year-old who's read a few books. And because you can't go outside and watch a T-Rex walk down Broadway, your theories or hypotheses about how it moved, how it ate, what its family structure was like could be just as valid if you're eight or an 80-year-old paleontologist. That's true. Or just a guy wearing a Jurassic Park T-shirt. <laughs> I, I feel like I know a fair amount about dinosaurs. Shana clearly knows a fair amount about dinosaurs, but how do we know that dinosaurs existed at all? I'm going to throw it to you, Meg. How do we know? How do we know these things lived at all? What That's, evidence do we have of their existence? Well, I think what we have mostly are, uh, oh, we have dinosaur bones is really that that's what we can find. Yes. We go into the desert. Uh, people are typically wearing really impressive old fashioned 1940s exploration hats. Uh, and, and they find okay. dinosaur bones. Mm -hmm. um, and then at times you go into a Costa Rican mine okay. and you way. pull yep. out mm -hmm. a mosquito. Yep. And from that mosquito, you can uh, get a dinosaur. Uh, because that's how it worked in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay. That's how we find them. <laughs> Meg, uh, I feel like some of what you said was correct. I like that. So uh, dinosaurs, I should mention, are found in all different types of environments. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is based on basically random luck about where we're looking and where we're spending resources. But you're right. Dinosaur bones, actually, to be more specific, fossils are the main way that we know about dinosaurs. Um, and it's incredible that we have fossils at all, right? It's incredibly rare for something to, upon death, quickly be buried in a way that isn't like 
undergone a bunch of bacterial decay or scavengers ripping it apart or flowing water, disarticulating the bones. It's incredibly rare when something gets buried and then fossilized for us to find many, many years later. The way that those bones actually turn into fossils, because they're not bones anymore. Fossils are simply bones that have turned, well, one type of fossil are bones that have turned into solid rock. So let's say an animal dies, it gets buried quickly. Over time, the minerals and the earth and the groundwater around that organic bone actually seep into the bone and basically use it as a scaffolding to build a rock that is a copy of that bone. And it's, uh, it's called permineralization, so kind of like permanent mineralization, because again, you're taking bone and you're replacing it with inorganic material, building a rock from what used to be a bone. And that, in fact, why fossils weigh a lot more than like replicas, because fossils are solid bone, right? That stuff weighs a lot. So in fact, when you go to a naturalistic museum, if you see a fossil hanging from the ceiling, chances are it's not the real thing because it's just way too heavy to hang. That's incredible. I feel like it could also explain 2018's Betty White. <laughs> uh, slightly, yes. You think she's been permanentized at this point? She's become a rock. She has. She has. She's one of our nation's treasures, really. Truly. Right. So what I just described, though, is a body fossil. Mm -hmm. And so generally, paleontologists break fossils into two different camps, basically. We have body fossils and we have trace fossils, right? And so body fossils are pretty much any part of the body, bones, teeth, skull. And then a trace fossil, I like to think of as like evidence a dinosaur was there. So trackways, uh, skin or feather impressions, coprolites, which we might hit on a little bit later. Shayna, what am I leaving out with respect to fossils or knowing about how we find them or in fact, how we categorize fossils versus body versus um, trace? Um, I think you've done some good, you've, you've described it very well. And yes, good points for Dustin. Um, yeah, I think what what's interesting to people though is is how we find fossils because yeah, uh, I think there's this notion that you just kind of like walk out into the middle of a field and start digging and you're like, okay, let's see if there's any fossils here, um, which is not really how we do it. So we try to find first of all, we go off previous research and evidence and previous descriptions of field work, which is very helpful for us. And you can kind of go back a couple hundred years at this point, you know, 150 years and see where people have been looking for fossils, which is helpful. We need to try to get away from plants in general because they cover up the rocks, which, you know, boo. Mm -hmm. uh, so we go to deserts a lot. And the reason we go to deserts so much is just because like the rocks are available <laughs> and they're sitting there and we can see them easily. Uh, so it just makes it easier to, to, to search for fossils that way. Um, but yeah, so we kind of look walk around until we look like we see something and then we start exploring. So it's a lot of walking around. Now, kind of on that note, uh, Shana, uh, Julie Elizabeth Mankowski uh, asked a question on Facebook that is in a similar vein, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. Are there certain regions of the world where we expect that there are a lot of unfound dinosaur fossils, but we can't get to them for either geopolitical, or geographical, or human industrial development reasons? It's a great question. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I was just saying, um, you know, when there's forests that cover rocks, it's really tough for us to find even if, so the biggest thing about finding dinosaurs is you have to be looking at rocks of the right age. So we can only look in certain areas where those rocks even exist on the surface of the earth and haven't already been eroded away or something's happened tectonically and they're, they're gone, general, just completely gone. So we have to make sure that rocks are the right age. And even if they are the right age that we can get to them, and that the erosion hasn't been too great that, you know, anything that's there might have uh, gone away. But speaking of, yeah, like geopolitical reasons or anything like that, those are, that's definitely a major concern. Um, you know, a lot of dinosaur hunting and fossil hunting in general has been concentrated in North America 
and Europe over, you know, really the course of paleontology, you know, kind of disproportionately, because there are a lot of fossils in other places, like in South America, in Africa, um, Australia, and, you know, in, in Asia, and mm -hmm. we just, you know, maybe people just don't go there as much. So that, or they just can't get there for whatever reason, like for political reasons. And yeah, so that's a big reason that kind of keeps, sometimes it's dangerous and sometimes it's just too hard to get to. But now I think people are trying to really push the bounds of where they can get to and doing a lot of great partnerships within countries to try to get in-country paleontologists to work with them, um, you know, especially paleontologists from the US and in Europe to, to go out and explore, explore more because there's lots of fossils out there to find. All with the end goal of finding the dopest of fossils. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I mean, I have not found I have not found the dopest fossil yet, so I'm still on the hunt. You know. Okay, that's good. You want to keep your expectations low. You found dope fossils, but the dopest yeah. is still out there, waiting to be it's uncovered. Still out there. Mm -hmm. You'll know it when you see yeah, it. Yeah, of course. It'll I say dopest on the side, right? That's what happens when <laughs> you dig it up. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Cool. All right. So we're going to take a very short break, but we will be back with more dino knowledge and your cosmic queries coming right up. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. I'm Dustin. I'm with Meg and Shayna. Hi, guys. How's it going? We're good. We're excited for part two. Meg, on a scale of one to a billion, at what level of love for dinosaurs are you at right now? Where are we? Oh, my gosh. I have to be real. I started at like a five, just pumped to be here. But now it is escalated up to uh, like two points away from one billion. Okay, two points away from one billion. We'll yeah. do the math on that later. I'm glad that it has escalated because it's going to continue to escalate. So now is the part of the show where I test the knowledge of both Shayna and Meg in a couple of very, well, we'll see if they're very fun games. I hope they are. I've never played them. Meg, you were the first person ever to play this game we are about to play. Are you willing to play it without knowing what it is or what the rules are? You know I trust you blindly, Dustin. Okay, I appreciate that, Meg. Here's what we're gonna do. In a minute, Meg, I'm going to read from a list of animal names, some of which are actual dinosaurs, some of which I totally made up. Your job, once I say the name, is to say either dinosaur, if it's a dinosaur, or not a dinosaur, if it is not a dinosaur. Okay. Do you understand how dinosaur or not a dinosaur works? I definitely do, and I am so prepared. Okay, so Meg, I will say the name of a dinosaur. If you say dinosaur and it is in fact a dinosaur, you will hear this sound. Nope, you will hear not that oh, sound because this buzzer is not functioning very well. Neither is that one. Meg, you if it? you get it correct, you will hear some sort of ding it's iteration. It's a little lackluster. If you get it incorrect, Meg, you will hear the sound, Ooh. which at home, if you're guessing, that is the buzzer from Taboo. You are correct. So are you ready to play? I definitely am. Let's do this. Okay, Meg, here we go. Your okay. first animal, Tyrannosaurus. Yes. That is not how you play the game. You need to say dinosaur or okay. not a dinosaur. Meg. All right. Let's start over. Meg, Tyrannosaurus. Dinosaur. That is correct. Brachiosaurus. Dinosaur. That is correct. Euplocephalus. Not a dinosaur. I'm sorry. That is a dinosaur. That is an armored dinosaur. Closely related to your favorite, Ankylosaurus. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Next, Irritator. Not a dinosaur. Incorrect. Irritator is a dinosaur. Is a spinosaur from South America. What? Next, Dilophoraptor. It's a dinosaur. No, that is Son absolutely a not a dinosaur. And Shane is shaking her head no because she is also correct. All right. And saying that it's not a dinosaur. No Are you ready play. to keep going? Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Carnotyrant. A dinosaur. Mm, not a dinosaur. Keeping moving. Gargamel. Dinosaur. No, that is oh, the bad no. guy from Smurfs. I know that. Not a that. dinosaur. I'm Anzu. 
Not a dinosaur. Oh, God. Are you <laughs> serious? definitely a dinosaur. That is a type of overraptor that Shayna loves so much. Moving on. Dontopodius. Not a dinosaur. Oh, no, wait. No, that is correct. You're yes. back on track. Dontopodius, I totally made up. That's right. Next, Iguano Colossus. A dinosaur. Ooh. Correct. That is a dinosaur. Cetacosaurus. Not a dinosaur. No, that is a dinosaur. I'm sorry. That is a horned ceratopsian from Mongolia. All right, Meg, we're almost, we're in the home stretch. Oh, uh, Ding Dongadon. Not a dinosaur. Okay, that was a giveaway. Oh. Ding Dongadon, not a dinosaur. How about Volcanodon? Not a dinosaur. No, that is, that is. Wait. Nope. Oh, no, that you, is, that you, is a sauropod. you did this, so that means it counts. Okay, judges okay. will give it to you. And last but not least, Micropachycephalosaurus. Mm, this is it for the win. This is the only one that's ever mattered. And it is not a dinosaur. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> Micropachycephalosaurus is a dinosaur and is actually the longest dinosaur name. Meg, strong showing. Um, and there are no losers here. We mm -hmm. only have winners. We are millennials. Everyone gets a prize. And for you, Meg, you get your very own bag of tiny toy dinosaurs. <gasps> Just like a church basketball camp. I've never went to church or basketball camp, so I will have to trust you. Believe me, all they give out are plastic toy dinosaurs. Okay. And you should know that inside that bag is an ankylosaurus, which is your favorite. So you have to find it, though. I'll be sure and fish it on out. All right. Enough with the shenanigans. Back to the serious dino inquiries. So, Meg. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen recently a T-Rex or an ankylosaurus walking down Broadway? No, but I wish, I wish that I'd seen that. I sometimes wish that too, especially with all the tourists. Can you imagine like the bowling balls at the end of that thing's club tail, just like smacking tourists left and right in Times Square? Oh, so much smacking. We love tourists. Come to our fair city, spend <laughs> your money, support the local economy. Anyway, I haven't seen one either. And that's because um, newsflash, dinosaurs aren't around anymore. At least not all of them. We'll get to that in a moment. So how and why did these things go extinct? Right, I think that's a big question that a lot of people have. And we talk about this in third grade. We talk about it in second grade. You talk about it when you go to the Natural History Museum. How do we have any evidence of how these things went extinct and why they're not alive anymore? So I remember when I was a kid learning the asteroid theory. So we know that about 65, 66 million years ago, a giant asteroid about the size of Manhattan smashed into what is now the Yucatan Peninsula, moving at about 25,000 miles per hour. Right, so this thing slammed into the earth, caused massive wildfires in the general area nearby, threw up a ton of itself, dirt, ash, soot into the atmosphere that covered the entire planet. And over the course of probably many years, that significantly changed the climate. And it led to, well, environments and um, areas that were inhospitable for dinosaurs. We talked earlier about how much food a giant sauropod would need to eat. When there's less food around, those are probably going to be one of the first animals that would go extinct. Right, so one major theory as to extinction is this giant asteroid. There's a lot of debate about other things that were happening around that same time that may have been foretelling the downfall of the dinosaurs, things like lots of volcanic activity in what is now India. Um, we already had some evidence of climate uh, change as well as sea level change. So I wanna throw that to you now, Shannon, because obviously the asteroid is like the big, most, most people go to that, is like the, the dinosaur killers the dinosaur killing asteroid. But is that like, how settled is the science? Is that the only thing? Is it a combination of things? Where are we at? Yeah, this is interesting because it's kind of gone a couple different ways in the field. You know, once that the, the asteroid, it was this beautiful story of how it was discovered. There was an asteroid in the an iridium anomaly on, at the KPG boundary that indicated that something from outer space had hit the earth and we found the crater and all the evidence for it and thought, this is it. Like, this is what caused it. Um, 
and it, people really, you know, were all fully on board with that for a while. But now, you know, there's a little bit of debate and more doubt, I think, seeping into the argument because there is pretty good evidence that the um, volcanoes that were erupting mainly in, in India, modern day India, known as the Deccan Traps, were like releasing crazy amounts of CO2 into the atmosphere for a very long time. So this, um, you know, is did crazy things to the climate. So that actually could be enough also to drive a lot of the extinction that we see. Um, there's also the middle of the ground, if you want to be the Switzerland theory and say maybe part of the volcanic Im- um, eruption was caused by the Aliens. asteroid impact because it was so great. It actually would have been a magnitude 11 earthquake because it went all the way into the mantle of the earth, which oh, doesn't even exist now because we can't have a magnitude 11 earthquake. Wow. So it could be so jarring to the earth that it actually promoted some volcanism on the other side of the planet. My gosh. Jury's still out. Yeah. Um, like when Mariah Carey dropped her first album. The jury's still out on Mariah Carey's first album? No, no. It shook the world. Oh, it shook the, the world. Core. Yeah. Uh, actually, before we before we go <laughs> yeah. any further, I do have to ask, uh, can you please tell me what the KPG boundary is? That's a great I question. Know. I love that you brought that up, Shannon. Like, as someone who is not a paleontologist, I love, well, the idea of and actually seeing the KPG boundary because you can literally see it. And you don't have to be a, a trained paleontologist to see it because it's literally a line in the rock that is dated to just about 65 and a half million years ago. And it's a line that separates in the rock strata dinosaurs from no dinosaurs. Did I do that? Dinosaurs from no dinosaurs in the fossil record. So it's like you can literally go all around the world and find rock that is dated to the age that Shana talked about and see a line like she said, that is high levels of iridium. And we know that is from something from out of space because we don't find concentrations that high on Earth. So we're pretty sure something of extraterrestrial origin smashing the Earth, threw a ton of its guts in the air, and then that settled, leaving that line in the rock that now separates dinosaurs from no dinosaurs in the fossil record. Gotcha. It's pretty badass. Very cool. I have actually have a couple follow-up questions, uh, Shana, if you don't mind. Uh, so... Aries2035 on Instagram uh, actually wanted to know, what would life be like today if the KPG extinction had never happened? That's a really good question. Um, And that's something that paleontologists like to always pontificate about because you kind of always wonder, hey, wouldn't it be cool if if dinosaurs were still around? Now, when I say dinosaurs, obviously, we know that birds are dinosaurs. Birds are technically classified under dinosauria, so they are dinosaurs, but we're talking, so when I say dinosaurs, like T-Rex or what we paleontologists call non-avian dinosaurs, like dinosaurs that could not fly. So we we would really hope that, oh yeah, these non-avian dinosaurs would still be around. And honestly, they could be. I mean, there's no, there's nothing saying they couldn't be. They could have filled a lot of the ecological niches that mammals ended up filling, uh, you know, kind of started behaving like primates and you know, maybe new sorts of coverings and burrow more burrowing and maybe taken to the ocean and maybe they could have survived the ice age uh, by, you know, adapting to it like like mammoths and things did. So it's it's possible there could still be dinosaurs. I love that you brought that up. That was a great segue to talking about birds because we keep saying dinosaurs are extinct and they're not lo- they're no longer here. But you brought up the perfect point. And that's when we say this, we're talking about non-avian dinosaurs or like non-flying dinosaurs. Because if you go back to literally the first thing we talked about, how do you know a dinosaur is a dinosaur? If you think about birds, the birds we see today, they have their legs started on their body. Some have scales and feathers, all have feathers, right? And so according to that little flow chart, birds aren't just descendants of dinosaurs. They are literally dinosaurs. And so when you see a pigeon walking down the street, when the Eagles win the Super Bowl, when we celebrate Thanksgiving, when you eat dino nuggets, 
because that is the shape of one dinosaur with the meat of another on the inside. It's like a Russian nesting doll inception nugget, probably the best breadcrumbed food on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, I mean, that, those are literally dinosaurs. And I love the fact that we can see these animals are alive today and make correlations and correlators with these animals that haven't been around for like 65 million years. Going back to that question about like these animals being huge, I think that is one of the reasons why birds or dinosaurs were able to survive this extinction, right? If you think about a giant T-Rex or a giant sauropod, you need a lot of food, right? And if your food supply starts diminishing, it's hard to live. Birds are small, they cover distance easily, and they're opportunistic feeders that have a ton of things on the menu. And I always think that is one of the reasons why they were able to survive a mass extinction 65 and a half million years ago that killed literally 75% of everything on Earth. And now birds are the most ubiquitous vertebrates on the planet. There's over, really, there's wild speculation as to how many species. Some people say about 10,000. Some people say close to 19,000 species of birds. If it is in that higher range, that's more birds than there are mammals, amphibians, and reptiles combined on this planet right now. So if you want to talk about dinosaurs being extinct. Oh, (laughs) there's a big bird versus fish battle on science Twitter right now. Um, Clearly, I'm in team bird. Do you have a favorite bird? Oh, I, I definitely do. I'm a big fan of, uh, I like, um, I like, uh, uh, <laughs> love birds. Okay. I enjoy okay. them. They okay. seem very affectionate and I, uh, crave cuddling. Okay. Much like a love bird. I think that they, they like that. I, right. They're into more it. More research is necessary. I'm not really sure. Shana, do you have a favorite bird? Do you have a favorite non, uh, I'm sorry, avian dinosaur, favorite avian dinosaur? I do. Um, kiwi. Nice. <laughs> yes. They're so cute. Why? And of course I picked one that doesn't really fly, but. It's fine. Well, not all birds fly. I mean, you know, they're penguins and stuff. Oh, this might sound a little weird, but I've always wondered what penguin tastes like. Penguin specifically. Ugh. I don't really have any desire to eat a penguin. Just for some reason, they're so weird. They've got to taste strange. Someone um, listening like to this fish. podcast is pissed right yes. now. And on that note, I'm a little hungry. So we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with some cosmic queries from our readers for Shana. Welcome back, everyone. We are at, well, everyone's favorite part of Star Talk All-Stars Dinosaur Edition, and that is cosmic queries. Uh, I don't mean cosmic like an asteroid, but cosmic like the big questions. So I know we have a bunch of questions from our readers across platforms. Um, I'm going to turn this over mostly to Shana because she is the actual paleontologist with the actual dinosaur chops. So Meg, what do we got? Beautiful. So this first question is brought to you by my radar. And uh, Chris Cherry uh, writes... uh, If we can't curb climate change and we make the planet uninhabitable for humans or maybe all animals, do you think the dinosaurs can evolve again or has evolution passed them by? A lot to unpack there. It's an interesting question. Um, So the way that evolution actually works is that it's not directional. So you can't really go back. Can't really go back anywhere. There's nowhere to go back to. Uh, so it's, it's there's no end goal in mind or anything. It just it kind of just happens. Uh, Whatever you works know, for a variety of reasons. A lot of things happening in the environment. So we're probably not going to get um, a T Rex back naturally. I'm sorry, Meg. Oh. And plus, well, we still have birds here, right? So like the next step of dinosaur evolution could potentially be well, however birds evolve over the next however exactly. long. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it's something completely new. 
my next question is is a little bit about uh, let's talk about hot and cold blood. Uh, so uh, Jeff Anderson wanted to know on Facebook: uh, Is there any evidence to support that uh, some species of dinosaurs could have been warm blooded? And also, could we learn something about this by looking at their diets? Oh, I love this question because, like Shana, I I've heard recently that like. Warm-blooded and cold-blooded, it's not really like a dichotomy like that. It's more of a spectrum. It's not like you're one or the other. Um, but I don't know how we would know or how much we know about that with respect to dinosaurs. That is a, a very good question. And you're right that, you know, not necessarily warm-blooded and cold-blooded. We usually say endothermic or ectothermic. So it's if you need heat from the sun to maintain your body temperature or if you can do it on your own. Uh, so dinosaurs actually could have been somewhere in between uh, something we would call mesothermy. So it's in the middle um, that they could regulate their own temperature, but maybe not bring up their body temperature as high as mammals could. We found that out by looking at uh, their eggshells is one way. Uh, I had worked on a study uh, with other paleontologists where we looked at a special uh, chemical signature that's in eggshells that form inside of dinosaurs. So we can tell what temperature the eggshells formed at, and that will be what temperature the inside of the female dinosaur was back when it formed uh, 80 million years ago, cool. which is Whoa. wild. So we actually found that it was slightly uh, cooler body temperature than most birds, but warmer than most reptiles. So maybe somewhere in between. There's some other evidence that dinosaurs may have been, you know, some other dinosaurs may have been more uh, endothermic, more warm-blooded in that sense. So definitely not cold-blooded. Yeah. So more bird-like in that sense than reptile-like. Yeah. I also think it's good to keep in mind, like when we ask questions about dinosaurs, that's an incredibly large, diverse group of animals. And so you probably, regardless of what feature or characteristic you're talking about, there's going to be a relatively broad spectrum. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and as you have mentioned a number of times, you know, they have an almost 200 million year history on Earth. That's like so long. So <laughs> lots of different things could have been happening in that in that time uh, with the way that they, you know, had their body temperatures fluctuating and operating. And, you know, that's kind of how they were feeling inside. But I'm very curious also about the way that they moved. And uh, Mand Confetti uh, wanted to know on Instagram, uh, how fast could a Tyrannosaur actually run or walk? Uh, so uh, uh, people say that they're actually kind of slow. Uh, I've seen Jurassic Park, and yep. I know they can go to 35 miles per hour yeah. and almost eat Jeff Goldblum. What's up? Well, I would like to answer that question, but I feel like Dustin might have a better, <laughs> uh, you know, line on this one. Cause I heard he recently raced a dinosaur. I did. I recently raced a T-Rex. Um, well, split screen race a T-Rex. And so we did a lot of research to figure out or to hypothesize exactly how fast a T-Rex would run. And they've actually done a fair amount of biomechanical research. Um, so first of all, T-Rex runs probably, probably runs way too fast in Jurassic Park. Latest research puts it at about a top speed of 12 miles per hour or so. I mean, I, I would hope, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just wishing that it was a little bit faster. I, I like the ballpark of a 12 to 15 mile per hour T-Rex, which isn't really, really fast. It's not really slow. And in fact, for like this race I did, I basically had to run a 400 meter track in exactly, well, in less than 60 seconds to beat a T-Rex. So if a T-Rex is racing 15 miles per hour at its top speed for the length of about 400 meters, which by the way, is about the distance the T-Rex chases the Jeep in the original Jurassic Park movie. Um, if you can run a 400 meter one lap around a standard racetrack in less than 60 seconds, you would probably be able to outrun a T-Rex. I think we all want to know, can you do that? Um, you have to stay tuned and that video will be out as soon as I actually edit it. 
Chena, is that is that fair to say 12 to 15 miles per hour based on current research? Yeah, exactly. Um, it had been a longstanding debate among paleontologists. Uh, we, you know, it had ranged between 11 and 33 miles an hour, 33 probably being way too high, yeah. 15 more accurate. And so a human, the fastest human, fun fact, who's the fastest human on earth? Bolt, you know? Usain Bolt, obviously. Well, it obviously. depends on for what distance. What distance are we talking? Mm. No, well, so Usain Bolt has run the has clocked in at the fastest speed any human has ever like officially been yeah. measured running, and it, but it only happened for like it's a very like, brief period of time, and it was almost twenty seven miles 27. an hour. Yeah, yeah, twenty seven, mm-hmm. which is wild. Yeah, we, I mean, we're not even taking account acceleration or like distance, um, but maybe this is one of the reasons why it's good they're not still walking down Broadway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 100%. Right. That'd be a very interesting like page in the back of every day's paper, like Tyrannosaur fatalities from the day before. And it would just be a normal part of life. That would be a strange world to live in. Anyway, I'm sure we have more questions. We definitely do. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Costas Nicolak uh, wanted to know on Instagram uh, that uh, she's read that we can learn a lot about the diet of dinosaurs, uh, especially if they consumed bones from fossilized dinosaur poop. Uh, is that possible? And if so, how? Um, it is possible. And I think Dustin's holding up. Do you guys know what, what's it called? Dinosaur poop is a quiz. Everybody has a special name. It's a copper light. Oh, look at you, man. Exactly. You nailed it. Oh, <laughs> look I like the finger guns too. Yes. This pew, is a pew. copper light, which is fossilized poop. Tell them all about it, Shana. Okay. So fossilized poop, uh, great stuff. We can tell a lot about it. We can tell even, uh, the shape of, you know, a dinosaur's colon, which is fun. Always fun. Cool. <laughs> or it's digestive system really of like what, you know, that's why you, you can actually tell it looks like a poop. Uh, we could see a lot about the dinosaur, the diet of dinosaurs. If they consume bones, definitely see bone fragments, which is helpful. Although if they're just pieces, like tiny pieces of bone, you can't really tell what dinosaur or what other animal they came from. So it's not, Super helpful unless it's um But it can tell you if it's a carnivore or an herbivore in that sense, at least. Oh yeah. Yeah, you can. So if you see the bone fragments, you can say, okay, you know, carnivore was eating like whole carcasses apparently. Um it actually if it's an herbivore, it's super helpful because you can identify pollen and smaller parts of plants that can be actually easier to identify to exactly what kind of plant it was eating. And you can also do some handy chemical analysis to it and uh, see what kind of plants it was eating. So yeah, dinosaur poop is super, super helpful in uh, figuring out what dinosaurs ate. If we're lucky enough to find it. Yeah. Uh, eight-year-old Dustin has a question. Um, <laughs> what is the largest piece of dinosaur poop we have ever found? Oh, gosh. You know, I think the largest one, it has like, a, a it was like a foot long or something. It's like a huge lump of dinosaur poop that was found, um, hopefully from a T-Rex. I think, I think it might be from a T-Rex. So we'll, but there's no way to know. I actually had <laughs> another question kind of to follow up there. Uh, were there, you mentioned that there might be little fragments of bone. Were there any uh, meat eaters that were so large that they were swallowing their prey whole? Did that oh. ever happen? Or uh, do we uh, get some dinosaurs where the bones fragments are bigger? Um, no, not really. I mean, yeah, most of the, the poop is a normal, a normal sized poop that you can't really tell, you know, any like whole, you know, bones from there. And plus this, it, it's hard because a lot of dinosaurs, their like limb bones can look more similar. So you, it's really hard to identify fossils from, you know, small parts of limb bones, which is normally what you'd probably be getting. So I'm sure it could, it could happen. Hard to identify dinosaur bones and poop. Easy to identify West Indian lilac. That's a really yeah. nerdy Jurassic Park joke that like 3% of you guys got, um, but I'm here for it. You guys, that is a wrap. Um, Meg, thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for Shana Montanari for joining us as well. And remember, whether you're asking questions, searching for dinosaurs, or simply Googling the next episode of Star Talk All-Stars, never stop digging. <laughs>